0: Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And today I am incredibly excited to be talking with Tanya Butler, the chair of the Music Music Business Management Department at Berkeley College of Music. Tanya, welcome. That's a mouthful. I don't know why I can't I, say no. that. <laughs> hello. <a> job.
1: <laughs> no. Hello, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. And hello, perspectives audience. I'm
0: really thrilled to be here today. Well, we're thrilled to get the opportunity to talk with you. So, without wasting a second, you've had such an interesting and really prestigious career as an entertainment lawyer and working in the music business. How or why, just to sort of start out, did you decide to focus on music?
1: Oh, wow. What a great question. And let me tell you, um, the goal for me is to drop as many gems as I can for uh you know the working women in your audience. Thank you. One <laughs> That's for you. Yeah, one of the gems and and you know what? I do that a lot with my students too. So the first gem I want to drop is that I didn't find music, music found me. What do you mean? Um I had no intention on working in the music industry. I was born and raised uh right outside Los Angeles. And so everyone I knew, and I was a theater major. So everyone I knew was an actor or an actress, a director or screenwriter. And my goal was to work in the film and television industry. It wasn't until I got to law school that I discovered, or should I say, music discovered me because. I needed to take an elective course and the only one available that semester happened to be a music law class. So I took the music law class just because it was an elective and I had no real interest in it and ended up falling in love with it. Fell in love with the music industry. Every every aspect of it no matter what anyone's opinion was, I love and loved and still do love the, the industry and music in particular. So that's how I ended up focusing on music. It was completely by accident.
0: See, now I knew why we liked each other and got off on the right foot right away is because I was a theater major too. <gasps> <No. laughs> oh my God, that's fantastic. And now I use it all the time, sort of, in life. <laughs> it always it's all stays the again. time. That's right. right. Well, so you took the elective. Let's talk about your career path, please, up until Berkeley.
1: Oh, wow. Well, you know what? I had been a label lawyer. I worked in-house. So let me explain a little bit about what that is. Um, Back then, every record company, every publishing company, all the major corporations had their own set of lawyers. So I was one of those lawyers that worked for the company. So my job was to represent the best interest of the company, not necessarily the artists who were doing business with the company, that was not my job. So I developed a very unique perspective. Um, I don't get defensive when people speak badly about the entertainment industry or the music industry in particular. But um, I will say I I feel some type of way about it because that's not how I came up in the industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have an understanding of the fact that the music business is exactly that. It's a business. And when you go to law school, you learn to think like a lawyer and remove any personal opinion, emotion, almost sensitivity, anything like that, is completely removed from the conversation. So with that said, I entered into an industry without having a lot of emotion or opinion or sensitivity. Um, And it served me well. It served me well. It wasn't until I started teaching at the University of Memphis. And how I ended up teaching was the music industry was on a rapid decline because of Napster and file sharing and the internet. So I was often laid off or many of the companies I worked for were going out of business or being acquired by other companies and organizations. So with that said, um, I had been teaching part-time at a law school and loved it, which is why I say that, you know, I didn't necessarily, it's just like with music, I didn't discover teaching, teaching discovered me, because as the industry was declining, I needed to make a living, and loving teaching part-time, I thought that I could make the transition to full-time and be successful at it, and thank goodness I was right. But it wasn't until I got to the University of Memphis that I developed something that I I didn't realize I didn't have before, which is called empathy. (laughs) Uh, Didn't realize I didn't have a lot of empathy. But once I got to Memphis and started working with actual musicians who would spend 8, 10, 12 hours in the practice room a day perfecting their craft for no other reason except to play where I had been exposed to those who they had other reasons. They wanted to be rich. They wanted to be famous. They wanted to be on TV. These students just wanted to play. Yeah. That's all they wanted to do. I started to gain a respect for musicians that I had actually never had before. So I ran the music business department, uh, not just the music business part of the department at the university of Memphis. I taught at Middle Tennessee State for a year. I went on to the Los Angeles Film School in Hollywood for about three years. I ran the program at Minnesota State Mankato for a few years. And Berkeley found me, which is another one of those gems I'd like to drop, which is, you know, sometimes we have our eye on a particular goal or a particular prize, as I like to call it. but. Whether you think it's God or whether you think it's the universe, sometimes the universe has something else in mind. And we really have to give in to that. You know, sure, we may have a plan, we may have certain goals. I certainly did. I was on the tenure track at Minnesota State. I had planned to stay there for six, seven years so that I could get tenure. Well, three years in, I get a call from Berkeley saying, Would you like to come teach? for us, would you like to um, be the co-lead of our music business department, which was in the role of assistant chair? And after weighing the pros and cons, I saw nothing but pros. Um, I accepted their invitation to come to Boston and have loved it ever since.
0: Well, and Berkeley is such an amazing school. And Everything you just said, I love. You know, I'm, I've met you through my son who was your student at That's Berkeley. Right. And when you were talking about musicians and learning to have empathy, I mean, my son, when he was two years old, would sit down at the piano and play music that he had just heard. It just is him. And That's when it. you see musicians like that and it's just who they are, they have to play music because that's how they express themselves, it changes everything, I would would think. And that's what you have at Berkeley. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, you're the first woman and first person of color to lead the department in in its 30-year history. That feels quite significant. Can we talk about this? Oh, sure. You know what?
1: Um, The department, the music business department at Berkeley has been around for 30 years, And the founding chair of the department, Mr. Don Gorder, who was my mentor, he was a friend first, and then once I came to Berkeley, became a mentor, after 29 years, decided to retire. And the college did a massive search for his replacement, and I was a little apprehensive about applying for the position. Um part of it is that imposter syndrome which so many women suffer from. But the other part was, you know what, I don't know if I can fill his shoes. He hired every faculty member in our department personally. He knew them all personally. And I just wasn't sure that I could fill his shoes and it wasn't until I had a conversation with our then provost, uh, Dr. Larry Simpson, who basically said to me, You bring your own shoes. You become the kind of chair that you want to be, not the kind of chair that he was, but the kind of chair that you want to be. And you bring all of your experience as a woman, as a woman of color, you bring all of that to your shoes. And you share all of that with students who you will now be able to say are your students. So it was because of that advice that I applied for the the position of chair and it was unanimous that I be the chair, thank goodness. And um, this would be my third year. I became chair in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Boy, was that tough. It was that first year and a half, almost two years was not easy because we were all remote at the time um and then we went to sort of a hybrid situation the second year so technically this year is the very uh, the 22-23 school year has been my first opportunity to actually be on campus 100% as chair of the department and it is definitely challenging but there's no place else I'd rather be no place else I'd rather be
0: that that's fantastic so you mentioned that you originally Got into um, you originally switched over to teaching when the music industry was really starting to have problems and the music industry now has changed, still changing so dramatically, so difficult for artists to find a way to earn a living. And, you know, during the pandemic, it was not the event, not events in person. Now there's different challenges, but. When you teach your students and when if there are people listening that are interested in being in the music business or staying in the music business, is this a good time to be in the business? Oh, you know what?
1: That's a great question. I think it is. Um, There are parts of the business that are struggling, you know, like young people in particular don't buy recorded music. Some of us still do in some genres, you know. Um, I don't buy CDs anymore either, but I am one of the, the dinosaurs who still downloads from iTunes. Um, Me too. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah, we're dinosaurs because I know. young people don't even do that anymore. So the industry has changed and it's not just the music industry. It's any industry that's affected by technology. Mm-hmm. And as technology changes, the industry has changed. So with that said, um, there are parts of the industry that are struggling, but there are parts of the industry that are are growing bigger and better every day. One of them is licensing. So if you write music, if you do record music, uh, licensing your music to other artists, to films, TV shows, commercials, video games, toys, greeting cards, you name it. Um, that business is booming. That's that's the publishing industry side of our business. Uh, people are selling their catalogs now for hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so that part of the business is booming. And believe it or not, now that we are out of the center of the COVID hysteria, uh, live music has come back. And you are having hundreds of thousands of people attending festivals. Uh, many of them were still wearing masks, some of them not. And um, live music is back in, in stride again. So if you're going to enter into the music industry today, um, or if you've already been in the industry, the number one thing I teach my students is you need to learn how to pivot. You need to learn how to adjust. And that's just not our industry, but it's every industry. If yeah. you're a woman in the working world, you need to know how to pivot. And I said to a group of um, women, this was a couple of years ago at a, at a conference I was in, and I was saying that, you know, every industry, but music industry in particular, needs more women. Because many women, not all, but ma- I'm not a mother, but when, many women are mothers. And you learn how to pivot as a mother. That's for sure. (laughs) You learn how to change on a dime because you don't know what you're going to get when that baby's born. No matter how much planning you do and expectations you have, you don't know what you're going to get. That's how I feel about the music industry and technology and the way it changes every day. We don't know what's coming down the pipe. Yeah. we have no idea. So you need women in positions of strength and leadership and power because we inherently know how to pivot, which is a skill that I'm regularly talking about and trying to teach my students.
0: That, we could stop there because that's the best advice and it's so true and it. It, it, as you say, it's applicable for so many industries and so many things. That's and nice. technology is a part of it, and just the change in the world is a part of it. And being open to that change and being able to change, I think a lot of women, especially when they get to a certain point in their career and have a certain amount of success, maybe don't get comfortable, but get overwhelmed with the idea of needing to change or stay on top of things, or right. you know, and and that's really. You you have. I hear this a lot from successful women. Like you, you have to pivot. You have to keep learning, and right. you have to really be comfortable with not being too comfortable.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I just had a conversation with someone about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain, and I was explaining that that is not my lane. I tell my students all the time. Find your lane. Find your lane and do not be ashamed about the fact that you are not in every lane. Yeah. There's nothing that says you can't change lanes. Nothing says you can't do that. But find your lane. Find your area of expertise. Find your the area in which you are most impassioned about. And don't be bothered or worried about the fact that you don't know everything about everything. Yeah. That's actually okay. It's actually quite normal. Not everybody knows everything about everything,
0: nor should we. And focus on what you do best and what you like to do and That's what good- if you have your own business or are looking for another position you see is needed. You share this great advice and your expertise, not just with your students, but you've written a book, which I have to ask you about uh-huh. just from the name alone. The music industry is corrupt, or maybe you just can't sing. <laughs> tell us about your book, and then I'd love to just quickly touch on your podcast too. Oh, sure. So let me tell you. So Um
1: it, it's funny, while I was teaching at Memphis, that's when this book was born. And it was actually born out of frustration because I was teaching and Um, involved in the practice of law at the same time, which was very stressful and something I will never, ever do again. Uh, Officially, I'm retired from the practice of law. I I like to say I'm I'm a recovering attorney and, and, and happy to be so. And at the time, I was really frustrated. I was really frustrated because I had been working with people And even having to um, bring my students to a different way of thinking when it came to the music industry, because for so long they had been fed a story that the music industry is corrupt and that everyone in it is corrupt and and that it's an evil empire. And so first, you know, I had to overcome um, my th- the way my students were thinking, but also the way my many of my clients were thinking. And that frustration caused me to start to write. And I wrote about many of the stories that I encountered throughout my career. Uh, many of those stories were people who were not prepared to be in the industry, uh, meaning they just weren't ready. They hadn't done their due diligence. They hadn't done their homework. They hadn't educated themselves. They hadn't studied their craft. I mean, they they didn't have a plan, nothing. And that's when I came up with the title, The Music Industry is Corrupt, or Maybe You Just Can't Sing. Meaning, not necessarily can you not sing. What I tried to do was expand the, the title and the meaning of the book Across several areas, you either you can't sing, you can't rap, you can't dance, maybe you can't type. Whatever it is, right? How about you taking some responsibility for your failure and for your success? So that's what the book is really about: how to take responsibility for your struggling career. That's the tagline, and in it, I say the chapters are. um, the chapter titles are, you know, like I said, I was angry and frustrated when I wrote the book. I'll just say that. (laughs) And um, some of the chapter titles are like, you're stupid. Or, you know, maybe you just haven't educated yourself into the industry that you've chosen to spend your life on. Maybe you haven't educated yourself. Or um, maybe you don't present yourself in a way that makes people interested in you or your music, maybe you have a really bad attitude or a personality that turns people off. There could be a myriad of other reasons why you're not success besides the industry is corrupt. So how about if you take some responsibility? And that was all born from my own personal experience and my own life, a story I tell at the very beginning of the book how I was uh, looking for other jobs um, at other institutions. I was teaching at Memphis, had been in Memphis for about three or four years and and was starting to get a little anxious and uh, maybe even a little bored. And I wanted to move to a different institution. So I started applying at other institutions and uh, I wasn't getting the job that I wanted. And of course, I had all sorts of excuses and all sorts of reasons as to why I wasn't getting that job. And none of them pointed the finger at me. Um, None of them pointed to the fact that, you know what, back then I had a bad attitude. I was very arrogant. I wasn't always the nicest or the easiest person to work with. And once I realized that, once I started looking in the mirror, I stopped blaming everything and everyone else and started taking responsibility for myself. So that's really what the, the book is about. And I've had a few people, you know, tell me that they read it or that they've looked at it or that, you know, they laughed when they saw the title. I have often spoken about rewriting it and focusing it a little less on my story and more on the industry itself. Um, but of course, I'd have to find the time to do that. And uh, have not just made that have not made that a priority yet i'll say that i never like to say i don't have time i like to
0: say i just haven't made that a priority so to follow you hear more about you and what you're up to wh- where should people follow you
1: you know what i have i created a website which is sort of a landing page for everything i do and it's called professorbutler.com all one word professorbutler.com you can find me on Instagram at Professor Butler. You can find me on Twitter at Professor Butler. I'm Professor Butler on Facebook. It, you know, I am well-branded. I'm <laughs> Professor Butler on YouTube. So anytime you want to find out anything about me or what I'm doing, uh, you know, I'm pretty active on my Instagram and Facebook pages where I'm also Professor Butler. But in order to get the links to those, just go to my website,
0: professorbutler.com fantastic and just to end tanya you've given us so many good nuggets so thank you uh this has been really in- incredible but is there just to end is there one piece of advice especially that has helped you through your life and your career that you could please share with us
1: wow there's a saying that i i think i created ah. <laughs> well, maybe i didn't you know it's a, or it could be a derivative of someone else saying something similar But um, what I live by is what's not your fault is still your problem. In other words, we like to say, you know, this isn't my fault. Or why is this happening to me? Or why do I have to deal with this? Or I had nothing to do, you know, and all of that's true. But you still have to live with the consequences of things, even when they're not your fault, even when you had nothing to do with them. So, okay. So we, the, the economy may be in shambles. That is not your fault, but you still have to go out and buy eggs. So you still have to find a way to feed your family. That's why I take very few excuses. And your son, Max will tell you this. <laughs> I take very few excuses from my students Because of that saying, I know it's not your fault the dog ate your homework. I know it's not your fault that your computer crashed or that you got COVID. But you still have to be responsible for yourself and handle your business and do what it is you need to do despite all of those things. The world doesn't stop because you caught a cold. So it may not be your fault. I get it but it's still your problem. And I think uh, I heard an actor say once um, something similar where he said, but it's still your responsibility. Same thing, same thing.
0: Well, that's terrific advice. And it was such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for oh, your time. Thank you, Katie, for having me. And
1: thank your audience for putting up with me all this time. <laughs> you take
0: care. You too.